Welcome to a podcast about wealth and life. We all know that our finances play a big part in how we live our lives. In this podcast, the advisors from Foster and Motley share insights and information about investment and financial planning topics and how they connect to your life. When talking about investment portfolios, you often hear stocks and bonds mentioned together. Now, the usual reason for holding both is that when stocks hit a bear market, bonds do well most of the time. Foster and Motley, Sarah Conwell and Tom Guidi are with me, Patrice Sikora, to talk about the role bonds can play and what happened in 2022. Tom, let's start with the importance of bonds and why it's important to include them in a portfolio. Yeah, thanks, Patrice. Looking forward to this conversation all week. <laughs> so the reason we hold bonds primarily, is, I'm going to put it in two things, is one is what they provide is income over time, but we can get that from a lot of other sources. What's really unique about bonds is what they're not. They're not stocks. And stock market risk drives a lot of return for portfolios. And the other places where you can get income, it might be dividends from stocks. It might be dividends from real estate investment trusts. All those are very tied into the economy, the stock market risk. And bonds have a unique place in that the income they provide is not so tied into the economy. It's a little bit disassociated from stock market risk. And five out of six times when there's a bear market for stocks, when stocks are down significantly, bonds actually perform really well. So bonds have been a great diversifier. And I know investment folks love throwing out that word, <laughs> but diversifying means that when the stock market zigs, bonds are pretty likely to zag right up until last year. <laughs> so we found the one time that sixth time where bonds didn't do their job. A lot of that was about why was the stock market down last year? And we'll find that, yeah, five out of six times the stock market's down for kind of economic reasons. We expect earnings to decline or we're entering a recession. Those are all good times for bonds, the stability of bonds. Last year, the stock market declined because of inflation fears and inflation, rising prices, those hurt bonds. And they hurt them in a couple of different ways. And that meant that bonds fell at the same time that stocks fell. Now, you're still buying the same things, the bonds. So potentially, we're just in a better environment now. We're getting higher interest rates. All right, Sarah, let's talk about that 2022 experience, because it was something that set a lot of people back on their heels. Yeah, no doubt. Thanks, Patrice. So 2022 was a rough year for both stocks and bonds, as we alluded to here shortly ago. So the Fed raised rates pretty quickly to get inflation in check. And I'm just going to plug in a quick reminder of the inverse relationship between yields and prices in the fixed income market. So as yields go up, prices go down and vice versa. So in the last 14 months, we saw the Fed raise short-term interest rates, also known as the Fed funds rate, five percentage points. That's just an absolutely colossal move for the Fed, especially compared to recent history. 
not only that, but there were big moves in the early stages of the tightening. So several rounds of three quarters of a per- percentage point in 2022, that's 0.75%. So big moves, but you know, it was painful to get here, but we really think we're in a good position now for a couple of reasons. So there's more yield to cushion negative price movements, again, alluding back to that inverse relationship, especially better than in the recent past compared to, let's let's say, after the great financial recession where we're in that zero interest rate policy for a pretty long time. So not only that, but if we do face a recession or if there's impending economic scares, it gives the Fed a little bit more wiggle room to stimulate the economy if they need to by by cutting short-term interest rates. Tom, can you set the stage for the current interest rate environment, considering recent increases in inflation? I think the one thing to remember is, yeah, that relative to inflation, because we talk about, oh, we're earning more interest now. But people think, well, but it's all gobbled up by inflation over time. And we've we kind of have this recency bias which just means that we remember what happened recently lots better than we remember what happened a long time ago and we have had pretty high level of inflation over this last year peaking out what 7 8% or so it's settled back down i think we're in the 4 range now but a couple years ago, it was two, sometimes three when it was high. So when we're talking about real interest rates, the rate that we receive over and above the rate of inflation, a year ago when treasury rates, and I'm just using treasuries as a proxy, uh, as an approximate for the entire bond market. So a A year and a half ago, before the stock market decline, before the bond market decline, we have to remember, interest rates at banks were near zero. So short-term interest rates, money markets were near zero. So if you had a 2% inflation rate at that time, which had been the history for the prior five, six years, you were receiving a approximately negative 2% real rates. If you locked your money up for longer and you were getting around one, maybe one and a half percent for locking your money up for five to 10 years in something like a US treasury or even a CD, you're still getting a negative real return. So here today, um, cash yields the yields you get on very short-term treasuries, short-term CDs, some bank accounts, not all. There's a big dispersion on what banks offer right now. You're getting, you know, approximately four to five percent on cash. If inflation stays at the four that we've recently experienced, the the last year-over-year inflation rate, that's a positive real return positive 1%. If it comes back down, the market actually expects the inflation rate to come back down to 2% approximately. I think that we have a long way to go for that. But if it ends up at two to three, that's a pretty good interest rate. 
If you're looking at treasuries, are they an opportunity right now? Yeah, I think treasuries are positioned to do what they've done historically, meaning that if the next downturn for the stock market is more of an economic downturn than an inflationary downturn, if it's due to recession or declining earnings for companies, treasuries are well positioned to provide a buffer for that. Now, remember a year ago, the buffer was so small because rates were so low. There mm -hmm. wasn't much room for interest rates to fall. But today, we actually have room for interest rates to fall. So they're well positioned to do what treasuries have done historically, which is insulate us from a market decline due to recession or economic reasons. They're also getting a higher yield than we were a year ago. And as I've just mentioned, it's a, it's a higher real yield, a yield above the level of an expected inflation, which we haven't had for a few years prior. What would that mean for treasuries? Would they still provide some kind of opportunity? Yeah, I think that I think it provides a great opportunity. And I, we'll get into that here in a little bit about our current approach on bond investing. But as we see, the yield curve is highly inverted right now. So as short-term interest rates decline, we're going to see the yield curve come into like a more normal environment, a more normal investing environment for fixed income investors. So it should provide a good opportunity for people to be able to secure the high interest rates that they're seeing, especially on the short short end part of the yield curve right now. Tom, talk about the relationship between the Fed funds and short-term interest rates. The Fed has a really good handle on short rates. The, the Fed funds rate that they set pretty much drives other short-term interest rates. They don't have as quite a firm grip on longer-term rates. So if we're talking about the scenario where yeah, we're facing a recession, the Fed reverses course, that wouldn't be unexpected. The Fed has a history of raising interest rates and then moving in the reverse direction shortly after they find the peak. Another way to say that is the Fed raises interest rates until they break something. <laughs> Uh, once they've broken something, then they have to fix the next. They have to start dropping interest rates because of what they broke. The, so if you look at a chart of the Fed funds rate, they rarely raise rates and we find this nice plateau. It, it doesn't look like you know a, a Southwest desert where you have <laughs> mountains that build up and then nice plateau for a long period of time. You find these peaks. So the Fed raises rates, they break something, and then they fall back down again. So yeah, that really wouldn't be a surprise. The market doesn't expect it, but the market's really not great at projecting what does the Fed do next. They don't know exactly what they're going to break or when it's going to break. So if the Fed starts dropping the short-term rate, That'll have an immediate effect on things like bank accounts, mm -hmm. money market rates, 
and it might move quicker than the Fed moves. But on the long-term rates, those should fall too, but it's not as direct of a relationship. But to the extent that prior to interest rates declining, you owned longer-term U.S. treasuries, it would be a significant benefit it would very much insulate those declines from the stock market because when interest rates move on something on a short-term basis, it really doesn't affect the price so much. It just affects the rate because you're um, constantly reinvesting. So if you just bought a six-month treasury, yeah, six months later, you have to buy you know whatever's available. So it didn't really impact the price. Mm-hmm. If you bought a 10-year U.S. Treasury you know, for something around 3.6% today and interest rates decline, you're still locked into that coupon rate that you bought that bond at. People would pay a premium, pay more a few months later after interest rates decline if other bonds are trading at lower coupon rates. So there's a big benefit to having the longer term or intermediate term treasuries going into a bad economic environment. Sarah? I think we could talk about the benefits of owning treasuries. It's pretty well known that treasuries are backed by the full faith and credit of the United States government. So this gives them almost no credit risk. It's a really safe place to put your assets but then also, as we're taught, everybody—it's the buzzword right now: recession coming. And especially, you see this inverted yield curve, and folks are starting to get pretty worried about that. If the Fed decreases rates, you're going to have exposure to that declining interest rate environment. And again, this inverse re- relationship—we talk about yields going down and prices going up. So. There's definitely some benefits to owning treasuries in here. And for the first time in a long time, it's been exciting to talk about bonds. People are wanting to know about what's going on in the fixed income market and how can we take advantage of of the high yields. Well, how does Foster and Motley approach bond investing? Yeah, that's a good question. So when we approach bond investing, we have for each client, a pretty fixed allocation to bonds. So I just want to clarify, we don't tactically say, oh, it's a great time to be bond investors. Let's invest more than we typically do in bonds. We think that all times are good times to be a bond investor because of the diversification benefits they provide a portfolio, because of the income that they provide a portfolio. Now, what bonds we buy changes over time. So when we compare what opportunities there are in the market, we have a very disciplined, formulaic approach. And what we do is we measure the rate that we receive for different categories of bonds. And the categories can be things like U.S. treasuries or other government agency bonds corporate bonds, high-yield corporate bonds, even foreign bonds. And we look at all those bond yields and compare how much extra interest do you get for taking credit risk 
for investing in riskier bonds. And as Sarah said, treasuries are the lowest credit mm-hmm. risk because the the government can create money. Why would they ever default on their obligations? So when we measure those those interest rates, it's termed a spread. How much extra interest do you receive for taking credit risk? And when you get paid a lot of extra interest compared to history, we invest more in things like high-yield bonds or corporate bonds. If we are in an environment where we don't get much extra interest for investing in less credit-worthy institutions, what happens is we keep it more in things like U.S. Treasuries. And despite the market constantly saying a recession is nine months away, and I think a year ago we were saying a recession's about nine months away. Um, that's just that's the attitude of the market right now. It's not coming soon, but about nine months away. Despite that, the spread that we're getting, the extra interest that you get for investing in high yield bonds or corporate bonds is really low compared to where it's been historically. So that discipline formulaic approach is actually leading us to invest more and more in things like U.S. Treasuries right now, which surprisingly would do the best during a recession that everybody expects about nine months from now. (laughs) And this brings up, Sarah, talk to me about the benefits of short-term versus long-term Treasuries. Yeah, sure. So right now there's actually benefits in both places and you'll see this in our strategic allocation within the fixed income within within our fixed income investing so on the short end we're looking to invest in treasury and take advantage of that yield that it provides also a benefit of investing on the short end is that these maturities are rolling down off the yield curve and maturing in in pretty short order so we have the opportunity to invest new cash as that happens with relative frequency. And so to complement investments on the short end of the yield curve, we can also go on the long end of the yield curve and take advantage of this interest rate sensitivity. So the further you go out the yield curve, the longer the maturities are and the longer the duration is. So in fixed income, we know that duration is a measure of interest rate sensitivity. Again, this ties back to this <laughs> inverse relationship I've talked about, that we can benefit when interest rates decline more from investing on the long end there. So we're able to complement those two strategies of investing in the short and the long end. And we uh, it's known as a barbell approach because it looks like a barbell. That's great. Okay. Tom? So Sarah, let me just pose the question in reverse. Sure. Why don't we want to invest in the middle? Okay. What doesn't look very good about the middle? <laughs> okay. So this this is a great question, Tom. So the yield curve looks really funny right now. Definitely the most unique, I'll call it yield curve that I've seen in, since I've been sitting on my side of the desk for a little bit more than a decade. So right now, the short end of the yield curve is offering high yields. And then you see it kind of slope down and bottom out. And then it kind of peters up again towards the end of the yield curve where we can also get a little bit more interest rate sensitivity and yield. But in that intermediate part of the yield curve, not only are the yields very low, but it is flat and then rolls up. So as 
you roll up the yield curve, your price appreciation is actually negative. And so you're seeing an automatic decline in performance just by holding this bond, where in a normal scenario, you're rolling down the yield curve and seeing the price appreciation as you do that. So it's definitely a unique scenario, but we don't see much opportunity in the intermediate part of the yield curve. And so that's why we're kind of uh, investing on the two ends. Okay. So when you talk about short and long mm-hmm. or intermediate, yeah, let's put some numbers around. Yeah, that. that's, a, what, that's a good point. <laughs> that's a, a good point. What, is a, what do we consider short? What do we consider long at this yeah. point? And frankly, this is a moving target, right? So we see the yield curve, especially of late, really taking formative shapes and quick moves. So, but right now for me, I see the short, the most attractive part of the short end of the yield curve, somewhere between 11 and 18 months or so, maybe a little bit less than 18, we'll call it 11 and 16 months. And then the long end of the yield curve It's hard to discount the 10-year just for its benchmark abilities, even though it's not situated in a perfect part of the yield curve. But if you go out a little bit further than that, call it 13 to 15 years, I think you can really benefit the the excess duration as well as a little bit tick up in yield and a little bit of ability to roll down the yield curve towards that intermediate portion. So that's where I would call it on the short and the long end. Do you think in general that could be just described as buying the bonds that other people are ignoring as part of the yield curve? Yeah, I think one interesting thing to remember is, okay, 10 years, that benchmark, the one that everybody mentions, you know, I I certainly think of, okay, we want to buy a U.S. treasure, let's just go out and buy the 10. It was just kind of such an automatic default thing that you know everybody goes and buys and that's the the most overpriced or the one with the lowest interest rate right now in some ways it's that dip in the yield curve so you know yeah. everybody's buying it that's why the the price is higher than maybe some competing ones now right. that that 13 year bond that you mentioned a 13 year US treasury in 3 years that'll be a 10 year US treasury right. so that'll be the standard a few years from now Um, that everybody's looking to buy. If listeners have any additional questions, how can they reach you? I think the easiest way is to give us a call. Uh, Our phone number is 513-561-6640. Also, you can go to our website, www.fosterandmotley.com. And there is a prior podcast that was a primer on bonds, fixed income markets, Um, And I think that's worth a listen to as well. All right, Sarah, Tom, thanks so much. Listeners, don't miss any new episode of this podcast. So all you have to do is follow or subscribe and also share with others. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to Foster and Motley, a podcast about wealth and life. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information discussed and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Foster and Motley. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. Keep in mind that rules and regulations are subject to change. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions regarding your financial planning and investments. Foster & Motley is not affiliated with any third-party providers. Any mention of a third-party provider does not imply an endorsement of that provider. 
If you decide to utilize a third-party provider, you do so at your own risk. 